This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Green Chef. Start the new year right by eating healthy and saving money. Green Chef is an organic meal kit delivery service that brings fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your doorstep. Go to greenchef.com fool and get $50 off today. It's Wednesday, January 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio and explore the brand new service from The Motley Fool, Mr. Simon Erickson. Thanks for being here, man. Chris, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. we got a lot going on. We've got data storage. We're going to dip into the Fool mailbag and forget Snapchat. We've got another impending IPO that we're fired up about. But let's start with the big news from the retail industry. Target coming out this morning warning that holiday sales were weaker than expected Comps down 3% and shares of Target falling more than 5% so far. This is not, <laughs> this is bad because this is not some fringe retailer or niche retailer. This is a behemoth when it comes to general retail. And if Target's having this kind of holiday quarter, that doesn't bode well. Yeah, soft holiday sales this year. Are we buying less Christmas? Or were we, were we not as good this year? Do we not get as many Christmas gifts across America? Personally, I went to Target. I, <laughs> I, I Don't blame me, shareholders. I was spending money there. Thank you for contributing to Target's comps numbers, Chris. <laughs> uh, this follows bad results from Macy's and Kohl's earlier in the month, too, who are also cutting their full-year forecasts. As you mentioned, same-store sales down about 3%. Um, transactions, when you, when you dig into that even farther, were flat versus a year earlier, uh, even though the digital transactions were up more than 30%. So, it's interesting, Chris, we continue to see this same trend that we've talked about for several years now, of people not going into the store, not getting that traffic to pick up groceries or pharmacy stuff. Um, and Of course, that's just affecting the bottom line for Target, and they cut the four-year forecast. You mentioned the online sales, and I think it's a, it's a good reminder that that's a great number. In a vacuum, yeah, we grew our online sales more than 30%. In a vacuum, that's great. It is still a fraction of their overall sales. And I think that's where, as investors, you have to go one level deeper on the numbers. You do need to say, you know, because there are a lot of bricks and mortar retailers, traditional retailers, who are coming out and talking about their e commerce sales growth. And that's great. And directionally, that's what you want to see. But as investors, I think it's incumbent upon us to then ask the follow-up question, which is, great, what is that relative to your overall sales? And you know, Brian Cornell, the CEO, was very upfront. I mean, he's not trying to hide from it. He's the one out there saying, like, yeah, this is good, but this is still just a fraction of what we're seeing overall. Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. You nailed it. I mean, you got to look at the bigger picture in this, and you can't just pick and choose through the earnings reports for the good parts. Target's still got thousands of bricks and mortar locations that are not getting that same traffic because people aren't going to them. And so you think about this, this is kind of a lack of optionality that they're stuck with. You can't build new stores because it's not going to justify the upfront cost for them. You can't raise prices on existing items because Amazon's already selling for less than you are. And it's hard to expand the product line because you're not getting the traffic in the first place. So I think it's a business that's kind of just stuck at GDP or even sub GDP growth right now. Market has picked up on that too. It's selling at about 12 times trailings earnings, so it's cheap. Uh, pays a nice 3.3% dividend, but I would definitely not expect this one to be one to, to crush or even outperform the market in the short term. Last question on Target, and then we'll move on. The big news from Target uh, a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more, was when they announced they were selling their pharmacy business to CVS. In hindsight, is that a little bit of a mistake that they made? 
I would not I would not call it a big mistake because they got a big old check out of CVS for it. So, but when you talk about the reasons that people need to go into a Target, the the flip side of the money that they got from CVS is that's one less reason people need to be tied to Target. I'm not sure it's easy to call that a mistake. I mean, theoretically, you would think people would come in for the pharmacy and they'd pick up 17 other items they needed to buy it at Target. But Chris, you and I talked last week about groceries and how Target has just been flat in selling groceries. And most retailers are also declining comps in the grocery side of the business, which again, theoretically, people would come in for grocery and buy other things. So it's maybe not such a mistake to start simplifying the experience for customers. Make sure you know what you're coming to a Target for. It's not for those prescription you know, pills anymore. Um, it's, it's something else. And I don't think that Target themselves has a really clear handle on that, as do most, most other retailers out there that are not named Amazon right now. Hewlett Packard Enterprise is buying Simplivity, which is a data storage startup company, for 650 million shares of HPE, ticking up a little bit this morning. I think at least part of that has to do with the price that they got, because there was a point in time when this was going to cost them about a billion dollars. So maybe they got this startup at a little bit of a discount. But when you look at data storage, it is clearly a Growing trend, but I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around the best way to invest in data storage. When you look at this, do you do you get excited or do you just sort of think, you know what? Not to pick on HPE, but do you but do you look at companies like HPE that are more uh, one-trick ponies, for lack of a better term? They're they're more. They're more in on data storage than other businesses that have a lot of different tech interests. And oh, by the way, data storage happens to be part of them. Yeah, well, I mean, if we take a step back and look at what is HP and what is SimpliVity first, HPE, as you mentioned, is the enterprise side of, of HP when they split. Uh, HP Incorporated. This is the, the one that Meg Whitman said, we're splitting the company in two, and I'm going with HPE, yes. which is, which is 100% of the time a Perfect indicator for investors when it's like, well, the company's going to split. Which should I go with? Which way is the CEO going? That's where you want to go. This was the small, fast growing $55 billion side of HP. Still a huge company, but they're selling the servers and the data storage stuff that does the behind the scenes stuff for running your website, all the cloud computing, all the data storage and processing. HP wants to be the one stop shop for that. And they're competing against a big company out there called Amazon, who's doing web services now. SimpliVity claims that their hyper-converged infrastructure, which means not instead of buying five or six products that you put in your data center, you buy one that takes up one fortieth of the space, uh, runs a lot more efficient, and they're saying is about 49% less cost than Amazon. So this is for companies that still want to do it themselves. They don't want to farm out the infrastructure and all the cloud computing to, to, a, to a larger company to do it. So that's why this makes sense. It's still an unsexy business. I mean, data storage is not getting a whole lot of Google traffic right now. And as you had mentioned two years ago, SimpliVity was a billion dollar valuation when it was getting VC funded. Uh, it's about, uh, they got bought off for about a third less right. uh, when, when HP picked them up here. But I really think that, that this is just going to be um, a business that's continued to be defined by saving costs. You know, like we said, there's not a whole lot of real exciting growth that people with great computer science degrees are wanting to come out and, and, and do this. I think this is really more about reducing the overall cost of your infrastructure needs for a business. 
And because it's going to be continually going that way, in my opinion, I think it favors scale. And you're going to start looking for bigger companies to scale even more. That's why HP has an interest in this. It also seems like a tougher business to enter into, not in the same way uh, that you know uh, that Boeing and Airbus are <laughs> are are tough businesses to enter into because, well, in that case, you're building airplanes. But it really does seem that when you look at Amazon Web Services, when you look at IBM, when you look at Microsoft, Cisco Systems, uh, Dell, which is a private company, but Dell has their own uh, irons in the fire here as well. It just seems like such a tough space. It is. And the real thing I think that investors should keep an eye on for this one, Chris, is how these companies are making acquisitions. HP does not have a good track record of creating shareholder value off of their acquisitions. They would write down $10 billion acquisitions you know, 90% after a couple of years. This one, I'm okay with. I'm okay with $650 million, all-cash deal. Um, waited a couple of years till the price was right. They're not going out and chasing the next, the next hot thing, but they know the role in the industry that they play. you got to make sure, as a shareholder, that, you're, that your uh, management team is deploying that capital correctly. I'm okay with the move by HP Enterprise. All right, before we dip into the full mailbag, got to say a word about Green Chef. Because it's the beginning of the year, it's time to take better care of your money, time to get healthier, and you can do both those things with Green Chef. Their USDA-certified organic meal kits make it easy to cook healthy and feel great about where you come from. Have you done one of these kits before? I have not. Whether it's Green Chef or, you know, there are others out there. But uh, it's worth trying. I should. Because here's the thing. you Everything is pre-measured. Everything, everything is right there in the kit. You have a lot of different options in terms of paleo or vegan or you know whatever your tastes are. Uh, and, and as I've said before, uh, you can really impress someone with this. You can, <laughs> you can, if you're looking to impress someone, you hook up with Green Chef, and they're going to help you do just that. There's no shopping, no planning, and there's also no commitment. You can switch between menus. You can skip weeks. You can cancel whenever you want. Go to greenchef.com slash fool, and you get $50 off today. Save some money. Go to greenchef.com slash fool. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Clifford Cata, who writes, I haven't heard you guys talk about FireEye in a while. What's your latest take? For those unfamiliar, give us the 30 seconds on FireEye. They make cybersecurity solutions so that companies can avoid getting hacked and being in the news about losing user information, personal details, or anything else that they're trying to keep people outside of the company from getting into. Which, by the way, that has steadily made its way up the list over the last, I would say, five years of things that keep CEOs up at night. And it doesn't matter whether you, it doesn't matter what your business is. This is, <laughs> this is something you got to protect against. It's still a huge problem, Chris. I mean, the number of, of attacks that have made the front page maybe isn't um, as prevalent as it was three or four years ago when we remembered Target getting hacked and 40 million accounts being compromised. But I mean, you still now, Yahoo just disclosed that it had 1 billion users get hacked back in 2013. So this is still a huge problem out there. The boardroom is increasingly getting involved. Um, You've got now cybersecurity insurance is a new industry that's kind of rising up to protect companies from this. And of course, you've got the cybersecurity solutions providers like FireEye themselves trying to help companies protect protect from this stuff. Clifford, the interesting thing about this is that the industry is changing, and it has been for the last couple of years. Uh, Similar to like what we're talking about with data storage, companies are not handling the infrastructure themselves. They're farming it out to Amazon, to Google, to Microsoft. 
to handle the IT infrastructure. And so you've got more of a centralized, um, smaller buyer base that has incredible power. That's been very bad for a lot of these cybersecurity providers that used to sell their products, FireEye included. As you saw, a 27% drop in, in product revenue for FireEye year over year. That means they're selling to fewer people out there, even though it's more consolidated and at better terms. But the really interesting thing, too, is that the value to customers isn't getting products that they then have to go and look for hacks with. The value is keeping people out of the network in the first place. And so you're seeing more and more um, companies like FireEye selling subscription services, FireEye as a service, kind of the, you handle it, we want to stay out of this, just let me know if anything happens, and if it does, you take care of it. And so you see subscription revenue up over 50% year over year. So this is a company that now is a leaner organization. They're focusing on higher margin stuff. The macro picture isn't as um, positive as it was two or three years ago. It's a slower growth industry than we've been used to. But the problems are still there, and FireEye is still one of the solutions for them. So I think it sticks around, Chris. I I don't think that um, it's out of the question to think that they get acquired potentially in the next couple of years. You've got Ashar Aziz, the the founder, that's now no longer uh, chairman of the board, or I'm sorry, on on the board of directors. You've got a new CEO in the company. This could be one that could be picked off by a Symantec or an IBM or a large organization. I was going to say, because you go back three years, this stock's trading north of $80 a share. Now it's around 13 so it really does seem like it's much more it's much more likely to be acquired now than it would have been a couple of years ago it seems like a more reasonable proposition does that how much should that entice someone in terms of like they're looking at it and there's cuz cuz there there are plenty of times when as investors we look at a stock and we say boy that's really been knocked down from where it was a couple of years ago i wonder if it's cheap now and sometimes along with that, it's like, I wonder if because it's been knocked down so much that it's more likely to get bought out at some type of a premium. Well, they've kind of refocused on what their, what their business is. Again, since the subscriptions is kind of now the new name of the game, that's replacing the product revenue. So that's tough when you're losing your, your primary revenue stream and replacing it with something. It's higher margin, but you're still losing that business for the large part. But FireEye is, is definitely a leaner organization than it was. They, they laid off a lot of jobs. They refocused personnel on kind of the higher margin side of the business. But they're also reporting positive operating cash flow last quarter. And it's not the, the growth stock we saw you know, in mid-2015, but I don't think that the problems that they are out there to solve are going away anytime soon. Snapchat is expected to go public later this year at a valuation of somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 billion. And that's fine. But I think it's safe to say that Based on the news this morning, we're more interested in the potential Chuck E. Cheese IPO. (laughs) Apollo Global Management, the private equity owner of Chuck E. Cheese, is reportedly talking to banks about an IPO in the second half of 2017 that could value the restaurant-slash-arcade-slash-nightmare chain at more than, wait for it, $1 billion. Wow. (laughs) This, This, everything about this screams, stay away. Everything about this. I know there are some people like, ah, I'm interested in IPOs. Not this one. Please stay far away from this thing. I just want to know one thing, Chris. Yes. If you buy shares at the IPO, do you also get some free tokens? Yeah. <laughs> I would think so. I hope so. I would think they would do everything they can to entice people. <laughs> That's the because best. Apollo 
took Chuck E. Cheese, but this would not be their first crack at being public. Gosh, yeah, they took. Uh, I agree completely with you. My my take on this story was stay stay far away if you're an investor. Don't don't jump in for this IPO. I love Chuck E. Cheese. Guy, who didn't love Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> I think. I don't know. I think there's a point in your life, in your young life, when maybe Chuck E. Cheese is really great, and it's it's certainly easy if you're putting together a birthday party or something like that. But I, this is one of those things that just seems so. The adult version of this is Dave and Buster's, sure. And Dave and Buster's has done a pretty remarkable job of the way it's branded itself, the way it has done well. It's a pretty discretionary income kind of stock and business, but they've done well. But that's one of those things where if you if you like Dave and Buster's, you, the window that you're going to like it for. I think is much bigger than Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, you go out, you know, if you're wanting to go out and have a couple drinks and have some fun, you go to Dave and Buster's. You leave the kids at home versus you bring the kids with you to Chuck E. Cheese. This, the the story behind the story on this one, Chris, was like you had mentioned Apollo Management bringing Chuck E. Cheese private for 1.3 billion dollar valuation right. back in, in 2014. Here we are, three years later. This is kind of admitting defeat. You're going out at a valuation of one billion dollars lower than what they brought at private at. Normally, private equity shops like to do the reverse, where right. they're going at a higher valuation. I think this is admitting defeat and, and kind of just offloading this one, taking what they can in the public market. And they're ju- yeah, they're just trying to get it off their books. Um, <laughs> one story I saw included this line: Apollo, uh, 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 sorry, Chuck E. Cheese has since. Uh, sought to broaden its appeal over the last few years beyond children, expanding its alcohol offerings for adults. <laughs> that's, I think that's probably, that has Apollo's fingerprints all over it. It's like, well, we, there's only so much more we can do for the kids. How about if we just start <laughs> getting the adults liquored up? Uh, one programming note before we wrap up. In the last episode of 2016, one of the things that I mentioned was that uh, Mark Reith uh, was moving on from The Motley Fool. Mark had been so great about uh, filling in for me here on Market Foolery from time to time, and was very sorry to see him go. I am happy, however, to share the news that tomorrow, longtime Motley Fool Money producer and Market Foolery OG Mac Greer is going to be sitting in the chair. Oh so, my! Yes, so you definitely won't want to miss that. Simon Erickson, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.